So we are on uh, the Dharma Sutra, chapter 16. And we begin by reading the chapter. <clears throat> Nevertheless, Subhuti, the noble son or daughter who grasps, memorizes, recites, and masters such a sutra as this and contemplates it thoroughly and explains it in detail to others will suffer their contempt, their utter contempt. And how could this be? Subhuti, the bad karma created by these beings in their past lives should result in an unfortunate rebirth. But now, by suffering such contempt, they put an end to the bad karma of their past lives and attain the enlightenment of Buddhas. Subhuti, I recall in the past, during the countless infinite kalpas, before Dipankara Tathagata, hundred thousand eons ago, the Ahan, the fully enlightened one, I served eighty-four hundred thousand million trillion other Buddhas and served them without fail. Nevertheless, Subhuti, although I served those Buddhas and Bhagavans and served them without fail, in the future, in the final epoch, in the final period, in the final five hundred years of the Dharma ending age, the body of merit of the person who grasps, memorizes, recites, and masters such a sutra as this one and explains it in detail to others will exceed my former body of merit not by a hundredfold or a thousandfold or a hundred thousandfold or a millionfold or a hundred millionfold or a thousand millionfold or a hundred thousand millionfold but by an amount that cannot be measured calculated, illustrated, characterized, or even imagined. Subhuti, if I were to describe this noble son or daughter's body of merit, the full extent of the body of merit this noble son or daughter would thereby produce and attain, it would bewilder or disturb people's minds. Furthermore, Subhuti, inconceivable and incomparable is this Dharma teaching spoken by the Tathagata, and inconceivable is the result you should expect. So, there's a lot there. And uh, before we open this up, I want to uh, read a few paragraphs from Bill Porter. The more conservatives of the Buddha's followers must have viewed the teaching expressed in this chapter as radical, if not heretical. If they had difficulty accepting the perfection of wisdom, they must have ridiculed the idea that suffering on its behalf eliminates karma. Hence, it is not surprising that this teaching did not gain large following until several centuries after the Buddha's nirvana. But the Buddha anticipates such rejection and transforms it into the means of enlightenment. Enduring such suffering is part of the practice of forbearance, which becomes more important as we confront the true nature of all dharmas, in which Sumedha, that's actually that's the Buddha many lifetimes before, was able to do during his meeting with Dipankara. That was his teacher. Such revolutionary statements as these were the signs of what later became known as the Sudden Enlightenment School of Buddhism. 
So that's the that's Huineng school. If we plant a melon seed, this is important line, if we plant a melon seed, we get melons. And if we cultivate the inconceivable teachings, we are can we can harvest what well, can our harvest be anything other than the inconceivable. Right? So we harvest what we plant. We, in a way, whatever we cultivate, we are going to experience. Makes sense. Chao Ming titles this chapter as the capacity to wash away karmic obstructions. So let's take a few minutes and open it up and see what, where we're at. What do you think is being said here? Assuming you've done some reading about it, some of the commentaries. What, what is he saying in this chapter? But what is he saying about comparing his immense practice, right? So everything he has done, what he's saying here, basically, that, you know, although he has done all this, if you today, today, walk with this sutra, realize it, share it with others, you will surpass him by a lot, as he said, right? the best probably not his prior lives and he's saying that you know you, you still have to here we go again you have to do it you have to do it to do what what does it mean okay let me let me just be more specific what does it mean to study this this sutra recite it expound it share it with others what does that mean well it's the same with the moment right you're saying you know Right, but what does it mean in this case? Spread the gospel, so to speak. There's no choice otherwise. Is there a gospel? No. What are we spreading? That—that's the point, right? That's what he's saying. How how can we? What does it mean to do that, and then by doing that, we surpass his uh, realization by a lot? Yes. It's kind of like the you know standing on the shoulders of giants kind of thing, uh, in the sense of his experiences over the multitude of lifetimes. Maybe the individuals receiving it have not, uh, but they are benefiting from that experience, and if they're able to receive it, will inevitably surpass them because they're starting at a, a much more advantage. So if you rely on standing on somebody's shoulders, mm -hmm. that there is a problem with that. For sure. First of all, he's dead. But also, <laughs> I think there's also a trap in here as well, the, the specifically around the idea of, what was it, um, uh, the idea that suffering on its behalf eliminates karma. Yeah. And then you suddenly go, oh, well, this is the path I must take now. Now I must endure all of the suffering and mistakes and what have you, uh, 
What does it mean to suffer on, on, on this behalf? Hang on one second. Go ahead. Well put. If we don't do it now, we're reading it. We're reading about it in a book. Yes. Right. So, so that's like, that's the question. So so right there, how do you answer living, uh, understanding, and uh, realizing the words of this sutra, and embodying it, sharing it with others? How do you understand that? Um, Right. If we don't do our, if we don't do our part. And we have, right. Also, the question is, how do we do it? Right, so to recite, and you know, even that, right? We can recite this, but in a way of a idiot compassion kind of style, right? We can recite that and have some understanding of what it means, but that's not yet embodiment. Right, to recite something over and over again. And actually, I have to say, in some uh, Buddhist traditions, reciting over and over again is the main focus of practice. So, yes, we can do that over and over again, but is that it? And I think it's important to understand, right? Because we could do a lot of things that are practice-based, right? They are tradition-based stuff, right? Whether we, you know, we bounce a specific way or we, we chant a specific way or we light in a specific way or we eat in a specific way. It's all great. But that's not where we're going to find anything, right? Because it has to do with how we do it. It's not just, well, I check a box, I do it well. I have a good chanting voice. Big deal. Big deal. That's what I would tell people. So what? You have a good chanting voice. What about somebody who is hoarse? cannot chant anything. Well, too bad for him or her. So it's important to understand what it means to recite, to understand this sutra and recite it. How do we recite it well? We begin by throwing it away. That's the way to recite a sutra well, to throw it away. And not to stand on anybody's shoulders, right? To not rely on anything because there's nothing to rely on. I mean, the sutra is saying there's nothing upon which to rely. So how do we live that? How do we live there's nothing upon which to rely? I wanted to point on... It's actually, one second, but one, remember that. Uh, it's, I think it's very relevant now with what we're dealing with, right? With the virus, with the coronavirus we're dealing with, because it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an amazing example of nothing stays the same. Everything is constantly changing and moving. And the illusion that, well, you know, we have some security because we know what we're doing, right? 
It's being shattered right now. There is no security. We don't know anything. But we think we do. And then we are surprised. We are surprised when this happens. You know, how could it happen? It's not in the, on the schedule. But this is, there is nothing upon which to rely as well, right? So we rely on this, the, the, the sense of security. It's false. If there's anything we can learn from this, is that. We walk around with a false sense of security. And then we argue. We say, well, wait, this, you know, this should not happen. And we feel really upset about it and we suffer more. And... But it's made up. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, going a little bit back to, to one of the things when I read this was, was the key point to me was about the kind of how you wipe out karma. Mm -hmm. And um, I marked a portion of this which I think it was a good explanation of what kind of what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and saying, Shen Yi says, karma has no nature. As long as we don't encounter Prashna and remain aware that karma is basically empty and without any nature of its own, we have to repay our past debts. Only Prashna can wipe out karma. Karma is created by our deluded mind. But if your deluded mind is empty, it cannot continue creating karma. Mm -hmm. I felt like that, that is kind of one of the key points about what probably means, you know, the person that recites the sutra, what is doing, you know, what is really doing is emptying kind of a receptacle of preconceived notions of what's going on. And then, uh, and then that emptiness brings no karma with it. So it's wiping out the karma because it's basically just realizing the karma wasn't there to begin with. It's like something that we create. We create an attachment to whatever happened before. And the consequences of whatever happened before is now. And, um, and so, so that is kind of the, for me, what I was reading this chapter was the key of what is actually talking about and wiping out and suffering in the name of peace. You know, it's not, I don't know, I, I don't think it is like a suffering, like you know, kind of suffering, you know, it's a pain or something like that. It's more like the way of conceiving this, you know, this emptiness, this like realization of like there is nothing here. And and suffering is, is kind of, um, I don't know, it's, it's the opposite to the freedom, but at the same time you need to go through the suffering to like leave that, the, the death of the self that realizes the emptiness. So let's talk about <clears throat> suffering, right? So uh, uh, collective karma, individual karma, right? So what we're dealing with, let's say mass shootings, right? That's suffering. That is karmic by nature. Mm -hmm. We suffer. There's no doubt that we suffer. But if we're going to make something of that, we're going to create further suffering because we're going to create further karma that's going to keep going in the same direction. That trajectory is not changing. We do suffer individually and collectively. Because there is karma that, you know, it is, what's happening is a result of what happened before. If we think in a specific way and act based on that way of thinking, we are creating a specific kind of karma. And then we suffer the consequences of that karma. It's just the way it is. 
Right? Some people say, I don't believe in karma. And it's okay, well, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the point is that the emptiness of it. It's like you don't own it. Okay, so back again to, the, to Bodhidharma's statement, individuals create karma, karma does not create individuals. Right? And this is very fitting here. We create karma, karma does not create you. Right? So we, which means you, in a way, suffer the consequences of past karma. You have no choice about that. But the way you suffer can change what happens, will change what happens next. If you suffer without blaming, right, without creating you out of it, then you are wiping it out. You are changing the trajectory. If you suffer saying, well, I'm the one I got, you know, screwed up here, you know, I don't deserve that. Why is it happening to me? It's going to keep going in the same direction. Because again, in that case, all the karma, all the suffering, the karma did not create you. You created you out of the karma. And that will sustain itself through thought. Yeah. Karma means action. Yeah, that's that's actually transcendent of the word action. It's an action. So if we, uh, I mean, we're human beings. So we're, sometimes we're going to do good actions, and sometimes we're going to do actions that you know come around and teach us something that that action didn't quite work. That we have to try a different action, you know. And uh, so well, you're suffering. Okay, so you're, you're suffering because you made a, a wrong action, a wrong choice. You you know create a karma, and I mean in, in my understanding that's why I say uh, uh, I always the the statement karma is a karma is a bitch but it's not karma is an action you know it's a, it's an action and when you create good actions you get good karma when you make bad actions or bad choices you get bad karma because you're going to pay the consequences of your behavior or collectively you know, the world or the country, or, you know, everybody, whatever action, you know, people go and create an action and people suffer. Beyond, beyond the good and bad of it, or the good karma or the bad karma, either, either one creates you. It's not that, you know, good karma creates a good person, a bad karma creates a bad person. It, it doesn't create anything. It's, it's the question is, how do we go through that? It doesn't create you. So non-abiding, which is, again, you know, the sutra is teaching this over and over and over again, do not abide or non-abiding. In non-abiding, you cannot become anything because of the karma. But it doesn't mean you don't suffer consequences of karma. And that's what we have to, we have to see the, the, the distinction there. So, oh, they did this to me, so now i got to do this to them because... Right, which, right. That's one good example because, yes, it becomes perpetual in its nature. Absolutely. Or I'm suffering, so pity me, I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life suffering yeah. in this situation. I don't deserve that. I deserve something else. Yeah. Right. So right. have to get past it. We have yeah. to see the fallacy of that statement, of that way of thinking. It's, it's, it's just false. And that's, you know, so, so by realizing that, of course you surpass. But you don't surpass as in better or worse. Yeah. You surpass because you live it. If you can actually, you know, you can actualize in your life, well, can it be better than that? Right? That's an experience that I 
experience like everything else. And you just gotta, you know, find the find the lesson, I guess, in the in, in, in what what presents. And I think it's easier to to work through it if you find the lesson instead of looking at it like, oh my God, I'm 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 in pain, I'm suffering, and everything else. And then you look around and you say, okay. Okay, what what is, what do I need to learn from this experience? From this pain and suffering? What do I need to learn from it? What do I need to learn and be careful with I? Okay. What can be learned learn? from that? So like it's a little bit better than, it's a little bit more free and open than what can I learn so next time I get ahead. Yeah. We gotta be careful with that. Yeah. Kind of dealing with this, you know, and, and again we're creating that I who is going through this pain, and uh, that's a very really easy way of, of of not doing this properly. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I've been in that situation many times, you know, where you basically try not to react in a way that feeds anger or something else, but at the same time you're still creating the me that is enduring. Yeah. And, and that time is still not. I mean, I always like the image of, of you know, like when you're doing an action that is kind of freely done, you know, that there is no ashes, there is birth in itself and disappears, yeah. you know. And, and you're still leaving traces when you are the one doing that because you're leaving traces in your own in your own side. I mean, you're kind of making a tally of this is another day of suffering because of whatever happened. Right. This is another way of suffering. Now, I'm going through, I'm not reacting to it, I'm not being angry about it, I'm not blah, 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 but you're still you're keeping tabs. You're still keeping tabs. And then those tabs, you know, come back, you know, at a certain time, it's like, oh, man, I already did all these. That's abiding. That's a dwelling place. Yes. That's exactly. what we, we do. Yeah. So, right. it's, it's, a, it's a second stage of dwelling. Place. Right. right. Like the first one is the reaction to whatever happens, the, the outrage or right. whatever. You know? And now, the second level is... Oh, I'm gonna take it very maturely, but I'm still kind of telling that down. Of something we need to think about that. Right. Yeah. Um, and we do that, and, and, and sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. Right. We're thinking that we're doing it right, and then we're not realizing that we're keeping tabs. Yeah. You want to say something? Or? Yeah. No. It's it's. I I'm definitely guilty of somehow trying to figure out how to break that cycle of either it's it's all coming from the eye, but it's either this is happening to me, and so my way of figuring out is it's somebody else doing it to me. Like, it, I, you know, when people get, like, okay, the lesson learned, it's like I've seen people that just seem to be incapable of seeing the, the, the kind of chaos they're creating, and instead of going, you know what the answer is, it's everyone else. So I'm going to go move across the country, <laughs> and they can kind of find that those same problems follow them out there. But then I often fall into the camp you were just describing of, yeah, this is just bad weather. I just need to endure it. And I need to create a certain amount of pose and maturity and not express it. And, and that also creates an issue because you're denying 
and emotions you're feeling and because you don't know where to place it without right. that context right. of it's either external or something I have to just, this is my lot in life, you know, it's, yep. uh, it's off the thick of the, there's a jazz song called, I think it's called like, why does everything happen to me? Right, and that's that is where practice comes in, right? That's what it means, you know, to recite this is to have that practice going on all the time, mm-hmm. or to to practice all the time. And it's, I I really personally struggle with how do I break that cycle mm-hmm. uh, of not looking for answers necessarily, but also not just taking a stiff upper lip approach. Like, a, like a, yeah. the phrase would be white knuckling it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, where do you place that energy in it? And a lot of it is just dropping. Right, you know, perseverance is, yeah. is actually a good trait to develop, right? But again, we have to see what that means for us, right? Yeah. What does it mean to you know, persevere? Right, what does it mean to sustain a practice, right? So we can persevere and actually become more vested in a self, mm-hmm. or we can persevere and loosen up the grip of self. For sure. It's, oh, not, it's, it's not, you know, it's how we, how we do it, how we use it, mm-hmm. that trait. So let me just, I keep going and we're gonna open it up again uh, because karma is obviously very important part of practice in our lives. So back to Bill Porter, he said, the word karma comes from the root kri, meaning to make or do, and refers to a deed, but it also refers to the manifold consequences of a deed. Even though such results may take several lifetimes to mature, which is important because we cannot go back enough, we don't have the ability to go back enough, uh, with enough clarity to know where things originate. We don't know. According to, to uh, Buddha's teaching, karma originates from any action of the body, behavior, the mouth and speech, and the mind as a thought. The collective force of these three over the course of our most recent lifetimes, says the limit is said to be seven, accounts for our present condition. Which is, you know, it, it doesn't mean... A, it shouldn't mean a whole lot for us other than just to know that going back to dig into our past is not going to do anything. Right? And then, you know, we, we say, okay, well, my, my parents behaved this way, so that's why I feel this way, or I had this traumatic experience. Yeah, but it's a, it's a drop in the bucket because it goes way beyond that in the past. And we don't know. And, and not only that, it's irrelevant. How is that going to serve us anyway? What does it matter? We find somebody to blame? And then what? So do we need to find someone to blame so we can, now I can focus on working on it because I know who's responsible for that. How's that gonna do anything? The, the, the thing that is down has a thing as two arrows. One arrow is the painful, but the second arrow is hundred times more painful, which is our mind. Creating something pain. out of it, yes. So that ability to react to that problem and the Sutra of the Two Arrows, we actually talked about it at some point, right? So, yeah, and it was saying everybody, it says everybody experienced the first error, but the second error is manufactured by the way we respond to the first error. 
which means right now all of us are experiencing the consequences of the coronavirus, right? The way it is. All of us are, but so that's, that could be a way to see the first error. The second error is how we deal with that. So, and then it says, however, we are free to change our karma by creating new karma or to transform it by seeing it for what it is, namely delusion without any nature of its own that is itself the result of other delusions. It's clear, at least in words, right? <laughs> uh, so, namely delusion without any nature of its own that is itself the result of other delusions. And then if we, if we uh, deal with that, if we meet it from a deluded place, we are creating the same for later. As it, will, as it is now, for before, it will be that later. Because we are in that groove. And, and we refuse to see that it actually does not create any, anybody. Nobody is there. Nobody is there. And it's very freeing. I, I think that even, even for a little bit, even if we see it for a little bit, it's freeing for that little bit. And then, of course, we get caught up in that again because that's the nature of karma. But to step back for, even for a second and to see that is very helpful. It's helpful because we know, yes, I have some recollection of something that is free or freeing. So Bodhidharma says, the karma of the three realms, desire, form, and formlessness, comes from the mind alone. If your mind isn't within the three realms, it's beyond them. The three realms correspond to the three poisons, greed, anger, and ignorance. Greed corresponds to the realm of desire, anger to the realm of form, and delusion to the formless realm. So maybe I'll just quickly go through that, um, the, the different realms. Um, and because karma created by the poisons can be light or, sorry, no, I'll go back. And because karma created by the poisons can be light or heavy, these three realms are further divided into six places known as the six states of existences. Heavenly realm, and which is the home of gods, divas. This is the realm of enjoyment, um, of bliss, long-lived beings. It is subdivided later by later sources into 26 levels of, of increasing happiness. The human realm, although humans suffer, this is considered the most fortunate state because humans have the greatest chance of enlightenment. The realm of titans or ang angry gods, Asuras. These are warlike beings who are at the mercy of angry impulses. You know, when we look at such descriptions, we shouldn't really, like anything, we shouldn't get caught up in, I'm here, I'm here, you know, because we could in one day move between realms in terms of how we experience life or reality. So it's good to see it in that way rather than as fixed, stages or steps. The, realm, the next one, uh, the realm of hungry ghosts. These unhappy beings are bound 
to the fringe of human existence, unable to live because of a particularly strong attachment. They're unable to satisfy their cravings, symbolized by their depiction with huge bellies and tiny mouths, and actually long and narrow throats often. Next is the animal realm. This is undesirable because animals are exploited by human beings and do not have the necessary self-awareness to achieve liberation. And then hell realms, people here are horribly tortured in many creative ways, but not forever, only until their bad karma is worked out. So, I don't know. Don't do anything with that descriptions, but just something to, to look at as in terms of seeing ourselves moving between different states of being constantly. So, did you read that? Uh, Yin Shun said, is that what you're ready for? Karma is a residual force, no. Residual force of actions. Whether actions are good or bad, they depend mainly on the mind. Thus, the presence of exceptionally strong wisdom or resolution can cause karma to change. Karma means what is possible, not what is predetermined. This is actually an important point, right? It's what's possible, not what's not what predetermined. Because if, if we see it as what is predetermined, we can actually feel as if we're doomed. I have no choice, right? So I may have no choice about dealing with consequences, but I have a choice about how I deal with the consequences. Right? Both are true. I have no choice but to deal with this, as we know. How do I deal with it? Go ahead. Hey, there's some, something that you didn't read, but I think it was, was really, really interesting. Uh, the difference between what, um, what these two traits are about Prashna. Yeah. Um, it says, while Shravakas seek to bring karma to an end by bringing anger and desire to an end, Bodhisattva do so by bringing illusion to it. Mm -hmm. That has to do with what we were just yeah. saying. Yeah. You know, like you kind of try to control anger and desire. You know, and, uh, and Bodhisattvas go beyond that. Right. Go to what somebody was saying. It's like beyond the Bodhisattva said. Beyond the three realms. Right. You go beyond that and you're not really concerned about anger and desire. You're just saying, well, you're just seeing the anger and desire and everything as delusion and then you break a lot. You don't provide that a resting point. It can rest in you if you provide you to that. But if you don't provide you, what is it going to rest on? It has nothing to, to rely on. It has nothing to sit on. It is an experience, but the experience is in space. So, yeah. And then he said, hence, it can be transformed. Thus, Buddhism stresses past karma, but does not fall into the doctrine of fatalism. So, in other words, you know, we're not, we're definitely not doomed, right? That's not what the teachings are saying. So dealing with, with karma, past karma, now, doesn't mean that we are doomed as we deal with it, also for later. Because as we deal, the way we deal with it will determine what happens later. And the proof is in that, right? Because now we are dealing with what, 
with the way we, in a way, we individually or collectively dealt with things in the past. So we are taught by karma that everything changes. If everything changes, well, then we have freedom there. We have flexibility there. What do you think? Striking at the moment is the, um, the similar mechanism by which we create the self is through cause and effect, and karma is through cause and effect. So that the mechanism of both of those constructions is is similar. Um, that we our idea of ourselves is because of the chain of cause and effect that has led us to be here at this present moment. Um, you're saying that the idea of a self is by itself a result of karma? Well, it's the same mechanism. It's, it's that seeing that a chain of cause and effect has a reality to it. And so the sense of the being, of, of my being, is the chain of cause and effect. That It's my sense of that chain and the reality of that chain which makes me think I have a self. But the reality itself that, that was created is change is is changeable is changing, oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Know. So if the reality itself is changing, where do I find myself? No. That's the question. Where do I find myself in action in motion? Right. If I look around, I see everything. You know, I, we have proof all the time. Everything is changing. Well, where am I? As an unchanged. Not, not as an experience of you, but as an unchanged you. Where's that? What is the unchanged? Where, where do I find it? Can I find it? Um, only, <coughs> I would think, in practice. Um, in, yeah, in practice. In, um, is there, can you find an unfixed... But, but by definition, in practice, is constantly changing. I mean, right. So it's, I mean, to, it's choosing a, a moving you to be you. Yes, it's choosing to, to, choosing to be dynamic. And in being dynamic, you don't know who you are because you constantly change. Right? You constantly change. Yeah. So how can you say, I'm a judgmental person, which people say. That's not true. You may act in judgmental ways and have a lot of judgmental thinking or thoughts, but you cannot be a judgmental person. Because that's an illusion of something fixed. That's not true. Attributes are not true. We, we assign attributes to what they are, and they are, they are not true. Because, I mean, they may be true at an instant, but they're not true. The next so Split second later. The yeah. are not attached to, to whatever we are creating you know, um, for more than anything. So, so that's a very interesting thing. Uh, that's reciting the sutra. That's what that means. To realize, right? To realize that you just can't find yourself as something fixed ever, anywhere. That's reciting the sutra. Uh, flip a coin. <laughs> uh, just a quick thing it was um, what you guys were saying reminded me of a book from a psychologist named Robert J. Lifton and he wrote a book called The, the, the Protean Self which is named after the Greek uh, 
Proteus, who is a, the shapeshifter, and he did, did it after doing a long, a long study of survivors of Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki, where they noticed that their sense of self became much more fluid and adaptable after a, an incredibly traumatic event as a way to, it's like a survival mechanism. Uh, to, to have your personality be incredibly fluid and changing is in itself a defense against you know, psychic <laughs> kind of trauma of, of sorts and, and a coping mechanism. It's just interesting to think about it in that context. As a coping mechanism? Yeah. In a way. Tree, unmovable tree, yeah. Unmovable tree, and to think of it as this fixed, rigid thing. Mm -hmm. Usually that's when the tree snaps. <laughs> and um, yeah, that it's more of a fluid thing. Unfixed, yeah. I have a quote that I've been trying to put up on the wall, and it says, um, Every day we are born again from the Buddha. Every day we are born again. What we do today is what matters most. So what we do today is what matters most. So it kind of keeps me thinking about not to rest on uh, things from the past, emotions from the past, or anything. Just what do I need to do today? And some trying How do I do what I do today? <clears throat> right? What we do varies. We may like or not. How do I do what I do? You can think of it this way. Do anything. I mean, a million things. How do I do that? How do I move? So, uh, I'm going to keep going. Uh, we're still staying with this chapter. One of the most, this is from Bill Paul, one of the most important teachings of Buddhism's Mahayana revolution is the inst instantaneous elimination of lifetimes of karma and the equally sudden attainment of enlightenment, which is really what we see in this, in this sutra as Subhuti coming to the discussion from a very fixed position, right? And then the Buddha is basically saying, no, you know, if you see it now, if you understand it now, you don't have to wait. You don't, it's not lifetime after lifetime after lifetime evolution. You can see it right now. Because you're, it's not lacking now. If it's, it's not lacking now, it's not going to lack later, obviously. But, yeah. But if you hold on to that fixed position of it's going to take many lifetimes, well, what's going to happen until then? Right? So this is uh, revolutionary. It was revolutionary at that time. And today, too. Uh, most of the early followers of uh, Shakyamuni felt that Buddhahood was beyond their reach and aimed instead for liberation from suffering, which they held, <clears throat> which they held could only be achieved by progressing through a series of stages, such as those mentioned in chapter 9, whereby desires and attachments were gradually eliminated in the course of many lifetimes of practice. The Mahayana, however, approached liberation from the other side of the river. 
where perceptions of time and space do not apply. But this begs the question as to how one reaches such an understanding. Here the Buddha supplies an answer. By suffering on behalf of this teaching, we speed up the process whereby our karmic obstructions are eliminated and enlightenment comes into view. By suffering on behalf of this teaching necessarily, necessarily involves seeing such suffering in the light of the teaching of, on those on whose behalf we suffer. Thus our suffering becomes the source of our liberation. Does that make sense? The suffering becomes the source of realization? Vimala Kirti? Yeah. Right. So, the, right, the understanding, yes, the, the teaching in that is that as long as everybody else is, is at that state, I am at that state too because I am everybody else. Because I'm not separated from anything. But what does it mean to suffer? What does it mean to suffer in this way? If you want to say a few more words about that before we move on. Or not. Yeah. Well, I think it means to um, suffer without uh, preconceptions about the suffering, without having an idea of what the suffering means, how the suffering is going to progress, what caused the suffering, whether in my case I can take the suffering, mm -hmm. which intensifies the suffering. Right. So, um, by by not having to explain it, you're saying by not having the need to explain it. Yes. Or predict. Or predict. Uh, and at the same time, or push away. Right. A certain way to so the how, how to be with the suffering. Right. I mean, you could. It's not just suffering. It's about. How to be with the suffering, which doesn't, I think, really have words. Because experience, right? Because because th that points at the experience. Yeah. Somehow being able to be close to the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. What? Right. The gap, gaps are the source of further suffering. Right. Gap. Right. Any gap creates further suffering. Right. Because it's not in alignment. You're not in, we are not in alignment with what, what is right. at that moment. Isn't suffering a subjective kind of um, definition? I mean, like, there is no real suffering. I mean, we're, we're talking about suffering, and, and we are thinking that suffering is something like a tree, or, you know, something, and, and it's untouchable in many ways, and it's, it, it, it depends on, on you. I mean, so, so mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very interesting way of combining one of the things that we always struggle with, at least I struggle was this issue that we do have opinions, we do have things that we like and we like, you know, and and those are the subjective kind of way that we bring, and then we are using those things we like and we don't like to 
reject and accept and grab and try to push back. And, and those are the sources of suffering. You know, and, and what I see is that you know the suffering here, you know, it's again it's a subjective world where you know we are introducing what is that we define as suffering. And it may not be the same for you than for me. Right. Even though we may have like I don't know, certain pains for me are maybe nothing, for you are terrible. Uh, and those are the things that you know that is interesting that how it's connected to the subjective being of of yes, I mean there's gonna be some things you don't like. Okay, and that's what you bring, that's what this brings to what's going on. But then it's how you deal with those things you don't like and how you actually realize that the, the fact that you don't like them doesn't make them something to reject and to be kind of not close to. At the same time, something you like that you try to attach too much, then if you attach too much to that, then you may not like when it goes away. You know, and so it's the same kind of, uh, and so, so, so it's an interesting thing because I, I mean, I always been like struggling with the world suffering and what it really is suffering, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's that, it's our own perception of the suffering. Okay, let me ask, so we chant no suffering and no end to suffering. Mm-hmm. What is, well, so you say no suffering, well, what about no end to suffering? Yeah, because it's the same thing, it's like we're bringing, we're, we're creating, it's, it's empty, I mean, whatever is going on, but can you say can you say that there is no there is no suffering, as a, a fixed absolute statement, where there is a lot of suffering? So it's a big statement. I mean, you to say no suffering, we have to understand what that means when we say it. No suffering and no end to suffering. It doesn't mean that we are. Well, because we are. We are I mean, the suffering is, is in the form. You know, as, as the tree is empty and exists, mm-hmm. the suffering also exists. But it's interesting that the suffering, it has a lot of connection with each individual person. Whereas, you know, certain other things, certain other forms, certain other things that are going on, they're, they're not, they're disconnected. So suffering is a really interesting thing because both things are connected. So isn't suffering dwelling? I mean, the pain. I'm thinking we're talking about two things. I mean, the gap creates more suffering. Okay? But there is pain. But there is pain. Right. The pain, I can make it like a suffering. I mean, like, what, what do I suffer? I suffer things I don't like. I don't suffer things I like. I mean, I suffer when the things I like go away because I don't like that. And you know, like, you know, that is kind of the, the funny thing about it. And things I like and don't like, it's very personal. It has to do with this, not to with, you know, anybody else. And however, you know, like the suffering we're talking about here, and the one that's no suffering is the gap. When we are making a gap, we are creating, you know, the suffering. We're creating a sensation of this thing that I don't like shouldn't happen to me. Or this thing I don't like, I'm rejecting it. You know, and the moment that you create that, that is when you are kind of grabbed by the suffering of that, that we are. I mean, I, I think you know, new suffering as a word that has so many connotations. That's why I wanted to kind of chop it up a little bit. But but you know, uh, so, okay. So suffering in this in this case, he's talking about, or the sutra is bringing up suffering. What happened in the past, right? The 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 karma or the results of what happened in the past, 
right? So, I mean, you can say, oh, I cut myself, I feel the pain. But yes, there is that. But there is being, dealing with, let's just take habitual, strong habitual patterns that are essentially harmful in nature. They create harm. We know they create harm. Yet we can't seem to step out of them, right? This is an example of, yes, I, I know that I am, by, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I keep creating harm. I just can't find a way to step out of that habitual pattern. It's, very, it's got a lot of power because of what happened in the past, because of what I think happened to me in the past, but it goes way beyond that in the past, right? So how do we, and that's what this is talking about, right? So I am in the midst of habitual, uh, being, being sucked into habitual patterns again and again, knowing I create suffering to myself and others, and I can't get out of it. What does it mean with that is the question for us, right? Because that's what that is, right? Because I am right now uh, experiencing results of past karma. What he's saying is that you always have the power to step up. You believe you will. You are convinced you will. Uh, you are actually having the power to step up and right. to stop it because there is nothing, you know, nothing is stop, you know, there is nothing is stopping you from going, I mean, there's a gate, there's a gate, so there's nothing there, you know, like you just don't want to, you know, because you know, the thing that you're creating there with the suffering or not, typically it's a bit of patterns are because the self is involved in it. But if we and say that, if we say that, we have to watch out because if we say that in with such certainty, then it's going to kill compassion. And you can't say that with such certainty because you can look at somebody and say, well, come on, you know, you get over it now. There's nothing there. That doesn't work because that is a fixed position. No, and I mean, that does not include seeing and feeling the suffering. The suffering is not false. What's false is to create something or someone out of the suffering. But the suffering is real. It's about not letting it consume you. It's, oh, don't create anything, because you don't create anything of it. Fine. How you do that? that. And upaya comes in very, uh, very handy there, because it's how we do. Upaya is, is uh, incredible. Maybe I'll let you say a few words about it in a few minutes. Um, but upaya is, is a great way to uh, quell the karma. Right, so I, just one one note to, you know, to point out is that we we can't dismiss suffering. Uh, what, one second, Kyoto. I think also suffering. There's um, kind of what you're talking about. Um, there's things we all suffer by. Like if we don't have enough to eat, if someone cuts off your leg, we're all going to kind of suffer the, right. the same way. It's the nature of being. Human, so part of it is these things I like and don't like that create suffering or attachment to things you do like. Um, but you know, you kind of brought up the Heart Sutra. How you you don't ever get to not suffer in that way, but if you can use it to go to something beyond that, the suffering still exists and is there in the same way we all experience it. But you make the space for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, by suffering on behalf of the teachers, through the process and karmic uh, obstructions are eliminated and enlightenment comes into view. So, um, to me, that's kind of what it means. Suffering doesn't go anywhere ever. It's just what what kind of space is it sitting in? 
It doesn't need to go, right? So, so to realize it doesn't need to go anywhere because it's just the nature of things. And it's okay. He's not wrong. That's another thing. He's not wrong to suffer. No, that's why we call it suffering because we have a negative connotation. That's what I was trying to say about that. You know, suffering is negative. You know, and that is the connotation I'm trying to bring. Yeah, because we don't like it, obviously. Exactly. So, so that's what I'm saying. Right. We, we, we are attaching that so strongly that it's something that we feel we believe it shouldn't happen, you know, or it should disappear, or we should do something, or whatever, to make it go. By turning towards it, you free yourself from it. By turning towards it, by not escaping, right? By escaping, you create more of it. By turning towards, you, you allow the fire of suffering to burn you. Just leave it, leave it like that. Leave the questions. Um, I think uh, Sugiyoko wants to say something and then... I just wanted to say a small thing, so um, I see parts that don't want to be there, that don't want to give up the uh, harmful paths. But then it's occurring to me also lately that there, and this has to do with Upaya, I think, um, there's a not knowing how. Like things have been done in the same way for so long or similarities for so long that there's just a simple um, not knowing how. <laughs> uh, that's all. Not knowing how and then working together, right? So yes, not knowing how, but having the willingness to work on it, that's where it opens up. Which has to do with um, an openness, not explaining, not assuming, and um, right. willingness to make mistakes and fall flat on your face, and uh, something else which I've already forgotten, so <laughs> okay, I'll pour the tea. Yes, so go ahead. constantly complaining about her life and her constant pain and suffering. So he takes, he, the cook takes her into the kitchen and, and puts three pots to boil. And in each pot he put three different items. In one pot he put an egg and another one he put a carrot and then the last one he put some coffee beans and let them boil. And the daughter just watched, and then afterwards, after a few minutes, he, uh, he took out the egg, he took out the carrot, and then you know, poured the coffee into a cup. So my daughter says, what does this all mean? And he says, well, these three things went through the same, the same suffering, the same element. They all had to deal with the boiling water. Mm -hmm. However, he said something different happened to each one. The egg went in, uh, like liquidy and weak, came out, came out hard mm -hmm. and unyielding. The carrot went in really hard and came out mushy and soft. And he goes, but the bean did something incredible. It transformed, gave her a cup of, of, of coffee to, to sniff and to drink. And he goes, the coffee bean transformed the, the cause of its suffering. Mm -hmm. 
it didn't become weak and it didn't become hard and transformed, you mm. became something else. Right. So when I heard that story, I was like, oh, that kind of blew my mind. Because we have the capacity to transform what causes us pain and suffering at times. You know, we don't have to become harsh and we don't have to become weak. We could just, you know, well, you know what happens often? Become jaded, right? And become jaded is become fixed. That's what that means, right? To become jaded is to become fixed about being jaded, about being wronged or whatever, right? So, yes. That's where, this is where the light of wisdom needs to shine. Right there. And even if it happens again and again and again, it never creates you. It's not about how many times. People say, well, you know, this happened, keeps happening to me, keeps happening to me, I don't know why, you know, I must have a target on my forehead or whatever. So, yeah, that's how we speak, right? That's how we think about it. So that's the question that he asked his daughter, which one do you want to be? Which means you have freedom, yes. Uh, I was say there's a truism in wine that um, the best wines are made from vines that have to struggle. Essentially, when they'll do dry farming, where they kind of deprive them of water, so the roots have to go deeper into the soil to get the nutrients in the water, and as a result, the grapes reap the benefits. So, yeah. Right. We're gonna move on, but a couple more minutes. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say it reminded me of something that Shunyu Suzuki used to say that that suffering can be a gift. Yeah. It's like a a letter from the world of emptiness. Yeah, actually, because you know what? <clears throat> it's a good point because it can wake you up. It snaps you out of the dreamland, right? Because it is difficult, right? To, to, uh, sometimes unbearable, and it wakes you up. It wakes you up from you know, the idea of something fixed, right? And thinking things are not changing. Do you want to say a few words or not now? Um, you have a choice. Yeah, um, suffering... I think suffering is all experiences over which we don't have control. Um, so that means pleasant, unpleasant. Pleasant, unpleasant isn't, I think, necessarily a part of suffering. And that um, there's kind of a, a dynamic, I think, as we practice that um, we seek to have less control because control is um, keeps reinforcing the self, mm-hmm. keeps rebuilding the self and imposing the self. Um, so there's sort of a, a paradox that I think as, as you practice more, in some sense we are suffering more because there are more experiences that are out of our control because there's less need there to do the controlling. Mm-hmm. Suffering that no longer has the sense of damaging a self, because, and so it's more, suffering is almost the state of being, mm-hmm. is to be within, I remember talking about the flow of karma, it, to be in the flow of cause and effect is to be experiencing things over which you don't have control. Um, so it's, and it, at times we talk about an end of suffering, but the end of suffering and no end to suffering, and the end of suffering is, I think that there's less of a self, but there's no end of suffering because we're in the, the flow of cause and effect, which is always suffering. Right. 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 So to see that and to align with that, 
right? You know, causality is the way things are. It, it, Buddhism did not invent causality. You know, karma is not, you know, it was not coined by Buddhism, <laughs> right? And although a lot of people think this way about the word karma, they think, well, that's a Buddhist term, not for me. But it's not true. It's just the way we see it. To have a to have a body is to suffer. That's bodhidharma. Actually, bodhidharma says exactly that. To have a body is to suffer. Right. To be surprised. To be surprised by that creates suffering. Further suffering, right? But to have a body is to suffer. Can we argue with that? Yeah. So, so I'm going to move on. Uh, Seng Chao says, misdeeds arise from delusions. Merit comes from understanding. Merits come from, merits come from understanding, right? Which actually opposes cumulated merits. The idea of accumulating, accumulating merit, lifetime after lifetime, right? Which is where Subhuti comes from from the way he's practicing at this point. As, as merit and understanding accumulate, past wrongs are eliminated, and as they continue to be eliminated, understanding grows until one is able to reach enlightenment. So through understanding, you basically deepen, right? And then through deepening or, or collecting those merits, the understanding grows as well. So there is, he's pointing at a process, but the process is happening, and as it happens, it already is doing what needs to be doing, which means it's not later, basically. It's not, let's keep doing this, and then at some point later on, we'll get somewhere. That would be the wrong understanding, because we're there. And uh, this is from Huineng. To speak in terms of inner reality, previous ages, what was, is the deluded mind of the preceding moment. Right? Make sense? Previous ages is the deluded mind of the preceding moment. The present age is the awake mind of the succeeding moment. This is what the, 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 he's basically saying, you want freedom? Here's the freedom. You're free now. That's what he's saying. You're free now because you are affecting what's going to happen later. And if you think you're not free now, then later you will, not, you will reap the fruit of a thought that says, I'm not free. And if you, if you put melon seeds, you get melons. Same thing. If you, as long as we think we're not, later on we are not. Because that's, everything is predicated on that. But if we think, no, I am, and we trust that, then later on will be a continuation of that. Because those are the seeds we, we sow. So as a Pema Chodron, I think, once uh, described as sowing seeds of happiness, which is a very interesting way to say that, right? Sowing seeds of happiness, which means the way we, we, we live our lives, right? If we live our lives constantly with the head down, you know, with a, this deep frown, thinking that life is screwing us over all the time, again and again and again, those are the seeds we are going to, we are sowing right now. 
and then the fruit will the fruit will bear later will be that of those seeds. And you just think about you know look around you know think about people you know th- people you talk with, you know people that constantly constantly complain about their circumstances about their lives. Every time you see them, they complain. Even if what they complain about before is no longer an issue, they complain about something else. They are miserable all the time. Because if we keep in that mindset, we're going to perpetuate that kind of mindset. Same with poverty mind. Very much the same with poverty mind. As long as I, I hold on to the notion that I, I am insufficient, I am sowing seeds of insufficiency for later. Period. How else is going to be? But if I change that, no, I am sufficient as is. This is perfectly fine as is, including suffering. Then what am I sowing for later on? What will I reap later on? And that, that, that's all based on the way karma works, right? That, that's based on <clears throat> understanding and actually uh, using Karma is upaya in a way, right? They're using upaya, dealing with karma. Because that is upaya. To understand karma, to not ignore causation as uh, the, the, the fox, by Chang's fox. Right, so uh, the question was, does enlightened, is an enlightened person free of karma? And the answer was, an enlightened person does not ignore karma or causation. That's what that means. Not only not ignoring, but working with karma, studying how it works, and changing it, essentially. Finding the freedom within. So the present age is the awake mind of the succeeding moment. Now this is, it keeps going with that. The awake mind of the succeeding moment scorns the deluded mind of the previous moment. And that's how we meet suffering of the past, right now. It scorns the mind of the previous one. Because the delusion cannot remain, therefore it is said that the wicked deeds of the previous ages will thereby be dissolved. Once deluded thoughts die out, bad deeds aren't done, and one attains enlightenment. It's very neatly organized but in the way he says it, but what we have to look at, we have to study that, right? Because if I keep saying what I keep saying, then I'm going to keep saying it later on. If I keep thinking in that way, how will I change the way I think? Or, or how, how is it possible to change the way I think, right? Go ahead. Yeah, I said, I mean, it is very related to, to practice. Like basically- It is what, say, say, say again? It's very related to practice. Yeah. Basically what you're saying is, whatever we practice, we get good at. Yes. Right? We're practicing this, we're getting good at that. Exactly. And, then, and, and whenever we, I mean, any action in every moment, even in, in action, you're practicing something. So what do you practice? So how do you call the practice of something that it's actually bringing merit? So just, you know, to follow the kind of the language. Yes. Uh, instead of kind of practicing something that gets us into this karmic, you know, um, you know, I mean, feeling like we don't have any control about the karmic situation and keep practicing that. Yeah. So, yeah, I always, you know, I think, you know, the, the concept of practice and how important it is to keep practicing something, 
that is embedded into that idea of okay, this will take time, you know, and in that sense, it's true. It will take time because yeah. I mean, like the moment that you decide to practice, and then you start to hold the practice, and that's why it's important. Uh, it has been important to me, and I think it's important to do those um, kind of the angles. Yeah, because that's where you hold some sort of commitment to practice something that is not coming to you normally. Yeah, and you're kind of having an extra commitment to. Because I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, like even though you may be enlightened, practicing one thing that has a lot of merit right now, right. The next moment you're dumping it out, and then the next moment is the only one that exists, and then you're still into the same thing. So upholding that every second is mm -hmm. kind of difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, that is the kind of the, the thing that we don't realize is that we're not sowing, you know, once a day or you know, it's. it's it's all it's constant, all the yeah. We have to. This it means you have. You have to be aware, right? All the time, you have to be aware. You have to be aware of the fact that you are perpetuating. If you're not aware, you don't know that you are perpetuating the karma. You are doing it, but you are not. You're not aware of it, right? So the example I think I mentioned before, one of the teachers, you know. So in Aikido, right? Sometimes you know. Once in a while, you encounter people who basically are really, 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 really hard on themselves, right? And they always, every time something goes a little off, they just can't stop basically complaining about it, seeing themselves as, oh, I'm not good at this, I'm terrible, other people are better than me, blah, blah, blah. Instead of realizing, wait a minute, you know, this, and I've experienced before, you know, people that have in the past had, had a parent who won't always tell, tell them, you're terrible at this, you're terrible at this, you're, you're never going to succeed, you failed or whatever. We keep doing it. It's, the, 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 that parent may be long gone, dead, but then that kid is still a kid and is still doing it. And in a way, what the parent said is alive and well now. In a way, I don't want to do better because that will be to step out of what I know. Which is crazy, because in a way, we, what we do is we not only create suffering, we want that suffering. Because that's, that kind of suffering affirms me to me. It's also familiar. It's familiar, absolutely. I think of the, that saying is, what is it, um, everything looks like a nail when you approach life with a hammer. And the thing is, you know, if you think this way, of course, everything, you're going to see it everywhere. Yeah, what was that Genki used to say? If you, if you walk around with a hammer and you meet a screw, you're screwed. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. Yeah, Genki used to say that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> no, it's not wrong. <laughs> Doesn't work. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. You can still hit it into the quantity. The reality is that we are different forces and we perceive things differently. So some people, they need encouragement, some people, they don't need encouragement. And it depends. Every person has a different... But I think the mechanism is the same because it's what you're familiar with, where some people want that driver yeah, from an external want. force. Some yeah. have a particularly abusive internal driver. Uh, it's all still a familiarity of that mechanism of how do you, in that scenario, move towards self-sufficiency in another scenario. Right. Uh, escape the grasp of, of that kind of, you know, the whip. Did you want to say something? Oh. 
No. Okay. Okay. We're gonna move on. So, Yen uh, Ping says, anyone who can uphold and recite this sutra will see that their own nature is like the sky, and they will be at once, and they will at once realize that the nature of their karma is also empty. So to see, to see that basically to see that it has no perch. None of it. It's happening, but it has no perch on which it can rest. It is like the vast and empty sky. So it's not saying it's not happening. It's just saying it has no place to rest on. And I refuse to give it a place to rest on. I refuse to give it a place to rest on. That's the practice. So we're not denying. We're also not grasping not denying not grasping uh, this is Shengi. karma has no nature as long as we don't encounter prajna wisdom and remain unaware that karma is basically empty and without any nature of its own we have to repay our past debts only prajna can wipe out karma how, how is prajna there? What does it mean in this case, wisdom can wipe out karma? Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. How can wisdom... Well, that's, that's, that's what the whole chapter is about. Right. It's, 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 <laughs> that, that sentence there is that only prajna can wipe out karma. It's like the realization that yeah. the karma has no place to dwell. Yes. That's the pressure. So Prajna is the light that shows that nobody's at home. Yeah. There's no one there. It's not denying pain. It's not denying suffering. It's only saying there's no one there. It's not denying anything, actually. It's it's. It's opening up to everything. So, you know, love and care and compassion, right? All those things, you know, sometimes people think Buddhism turns against or away from that. Not at all. Not at all. It actually opens us even further to experience everything. Right? The entire gamut of emotions without attaching to any of them. I think you will, I mean, you can... With this practice, you can experience better certain things than before you were not right. willing to. You can, you can actually, you know, can be close to, I mean, like you were saying before, you know, be close to that experience, whatever that experience is, because sometimes we fear it, sometimes we don't want it, like, and whenever it's happening, I mean, we still kind of restricting it, and, and being close to it, letting it be, uh, it's an interesting thing that's new. Yeah. And, uh, so karma is created by our deluded mind, but, our, but if our deluded mind is empty, it can't continue creating karma. And that's where spaciousness comes in. Right? If we, if we understand being spacious, being magnanimous, then there is no perch, there is no place on which it can sit. 
right? So it doesn't, it, it just doesn't perpetuate itself anymore. That's the prajna, right? That's what prajna, yes. So the light of prajna, or actualizing prajna, yeah. allows for that. But prajna is seeing things as they are, right? If you look at the first of the Eightfold Path, right, right understanding, right, or right view, right. has to do with not, not holding on to a fixed position or understanding impermanence. And not, not think the impermanence is against anybody. Right. Not panicking. Right. Because impermanence is the truth. Right. Yes, and this is what we, we keep going back to again and again. That, right, you know, the, we, we are fighting what we, what we are, in a way. Because we are of that nature, right? And we are fighting our own nature. We are of the nature to die. We fight that. We are of the nature to lose everything, and we fight that. We are of the nature to have no security, but we want security. And what happens? We suffer. So the words are simple, and the words even, I think, I mean, make, even make sense, right? Because we're not, you know, it makes sense. But then there is a gap, and this is where course, where practice comes in to feel like there's a gap between understanding it and living it. We may understand it, but are we living it? Or how are we living it? Is the question. <clears throat> so Bodhidharma, you should realize that all karma, painful or otherwise, comes from your own mind. If you can just concentrate your mind and transcend its falsehood and evil, the suffering of the three realms and the six states of existences, existence will automatically disappear. And once free from suffering, you're truly free. So, one more thing I want to read. Shengi says, After Shakyamuni met Dipankara Buddha, he was able to bear the truth that all things are birthless and that there is no self, being, life, or a soul, as it's keep repeating in this sutra. Before he met Dipankara, before he was able to bear the truth that all things are birthless, that, that there is no self, being, life, or soul, he worshipped Buddhas with a mind concerned with attainment, <coughs> with a self who worshipped, <coughs> with a Buddha who was worshipped. And he was only able to reap merit that was samsaric merit that kept him tied to life and death. Thus, though he met countless Buddhas, none of them prophesied his enlightenment until he met Dipankara Buddha, who did prophesize his realization. And this is, this is again, it's good to finish this chapter with that uh, repetition of no, no separate existence, right? No soul or birthlessness. What is birthlessness? Anyone? Body and mind drop away. Okay. Birthlessness. No self? Not giving rise to the illusion of separate existence. Because there is nothing, because 
Everything is constantly moving and changing. Again, where do you find yourself in a, in, in a reality that is constantly moving? And totally interrelated. Yeah. You can say, where do I find myself in others? I look at others. Everything is mirroring you. Everything echoes you. But if everything echoes you, there's no worry. Because it's beyond this existence. It's not limited to this existence. It's not limited to the lifespan of something that, was, that, that came into existence, subsisted for a while and then disappeared, right? It's not limited to that life form. Because everything echoes you. And everything is going to keep echoing, it's going to keep becoming. So being and becoming, maybe being should, maybe we should see it as becoming rather than being, constantly becoming. It's another way to say, you know, dynamic existence, right? Constantly becoming. Always becoming never is. Because it's not fixed. So what I want to do is, we're going to actually finish. This is good. This is an important chapter. I don't want to go into the next chapter at this point. So... Any last uh, words that you want to share about it or, you know, or some things? Obviously, I just quoted a few. There's a lot there. If uh, something else spoke to you and you want to share it. What does that do to I mean, I know you were exp you've been exposed to that in the past, mm -hmm. uh, but different tradition. Yes. Right through a different tradition. Yes. So then looking at that now, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, um, my exposure to this is through a couple of different traditions. So in, 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 in Hinduism, where the, the concept of karma originates with the Upanishadic sort of uh, idea, it was very widespread, it wasn't limited to Hinduism, but it was a, a general idea in the Upanishadic tradition. And, you know, but the idea was always that there was a kind of determinism associated with that, mm. always. That, you know, you're sort of stuck with your karma and that you really have to work through it over many lifetimes. It's a, it, it's, a it's, it's really a kind of almost a superhuman kind of an effort to try to escape from karma. And, and within the Jain tradition, which is roughly contemporaneous with Shakyamuni, that, that karmic determinism becomes even more extreme. So you might see in that tradition the, the priests who wear masks so they don't accidentally inhale an insect, or they won't go out at night. And many people in that religion actually practice a form of uh, where they uh, basically starve themselves to death over time, or they only eat fallen fruit. So th this was an idea of, of uh, the karmic determinism was so extreme that your only hope of salvation was to really go to the ultimate level of trying to avoid any kind of karma. So Buddhism in that context was very liberating because it basically said, look, you can do this yourself. You don't, you're, not, you're not bound by these chains. You can, 
you have a choice and you can deal with your karma in a way and liberate yourself now. Yeah. So that was that was a definitely a radical idea uh, in the in the cultural context. Of the yeah, well, that's why he said uh, Bill Porter said that it was radical at yeah. the time, definitely, yeah. because that was the common belief. Yeah. That was the actually common practice. It was a common practice. And, and for a lot of people, it, it, it was also kind of a crutch, which it still is today, which mm. they say, you know, well, you don't have to practice because it's too hard. Right. You know? right. <laughs> it'll take many lifetimes, so don't worry about it. You know? So, I mean, that's still a, 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 an aspect of the culture, right? The, but, you know, and, people sometimes see that in terms of practice or, or, or jukai, right? Yes. So, precepts. But, you know, well, you know, until I take jukai... I don't have to really worry too much about it. I'll do my best, but, you know, I'm not bound by those 16 uh, precepts, right? Yeah. But that's not what the practice is saying, you know? From the, the moment you enter, you're expected to work with those precepts yeah. to the best of your ability. Not wait until you take Jukai mm -hmm. and get a Raksu and then, okay, now I really have to get serious about this. <laughs> but that, that's the, the, the notion of later. Yeah. Also, the notion of insufficiency, uh, poverty mind, you know, everything there, it, it comes from the same place. Mm -hmm. Later on, I'll get it. I'm not enlightened. You can't expect of me to not act in such harmful ways because I'm not realized yet. When I realize myself, I will be much kinder. <laughs> Until then, I have the freedom to choose who I'm going to be kind with. <laughs> Right, but that's, you know, that's why practice is taking full responsibility. Yeah. So, yeah? We're good? So, Brian, <laughs> uh, you've been quiet, but uh, what do you think about this? Uh, I know you, you didn't have much exposure to that, right, obviously, but um, how does it feel to listen to this? How foreign is it? Let me ask you this way. It's, um, you know, a, a topic like suffering and then hearing everybody talk about it is actually, you know, it's not as difficult to intellectually wrap your mind around that, you know, the sort of grasping onto something that you like that can be suffering. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's a, even not having been practicing for very long, it's a, it's a concept that intellectually is mm. a little easier to understand. Okay, so intellectually we understand. So that's where, and you are noting something that, yes, we get it, but there is a practice, right. is also what you're saying, right? So yes, I get it, but then the practice is how to actualize, how to live it. Yeah. And so I said intellectually, yeah. because... I can sort of sit here and, and say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But it's not as straightforward to sort of embody it yeah. off the cushion and out in the world. Right. Because as you know, as soon as we move, there's the karma. <laughs> well, we don't move, there's the karma, right? There it is. In our face. We want to say a word and the karma is saying, no, no, no. Here's what you're going to say now. <laughs> you know the feeling. <laughs> but that's how, it, that's how we meet it, right? That's how it feels like. I, I think, you know, the, the key is always understanding. We, we keep saying that this is a practice, you know, but I don't think we realize 
how much so we're saying this is a practice. Mm. Which means that we need to tackle it with that mentality, the mentality of we're practicing something. We're not we're never achieving uh, mm. the practicing. And we're practicing means we go without fear because we are not supposed to be doing it perfectly every time. Because sometimes you know we, we have this self defeating way of not practicing because you know we don't think the practice will be enough. And it's that that encouragement of like we just need to go there and practice. Mm. That's what is that we're doing and then it's like showing up. And sometimes you I mean it's not about how this particular day you were sitting. It's about you sit, you know, and then you sit in tomorrow even though yesterday wasn't really, really good. Mm. Or even though yesterday was having a lot of pain. Okay, you sit in today again. And that's the practice, and, and that and that vocation of forgetting about and practicing again today is is what has to do with the karma and creating new karma mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that we're discussing today. Yeah. So so I, I, ultimately, that's what he's saying is that if you are holding that, then the warrior merit comes. Yeah. And uh, with this concept of the warrior merit, which is infinite already, but. but um, that, that idea of, of not be afraid of practicing because you are not, you don't have anything to achieve, you just need to show up. This is a good way to, to actually end that with the note of Ango coming up. And uh, yes, I, I think that, uh, okay. I'm going to write about that too, uh, to everybody, but I think it's very important to understand, to understand that we actually, I, I think often we don't take the practice seriously enough. And I'm going to announce to everybody, if you take it too seriously, I'll tell you to back off. It doesn't happen that often. <laughs> we, we are on the other side often, uh, so we have to tighten up. And Ango coming up, definitely, this is the time to, to dive deeply into that. So it's really good. And, you know, Ango is the three months, we'll talk about three months training period, which we really want to, okay, we have intellectual understanding, right? But this is the time. Let's crank it up and let's really bring our lives to that and practice it so then it sinks from the head to the gut, to the hala. And, and it starts to appear in our center and then we move from that center. That's the analogy we want to work with. But yes, so this is uh, very important to realize that uh, we're not serious enough. And I think we're not serious about practice means we're not serious enough about our lives. So we'll we'll end on that note. Okay.
ways unsurpassable. I vow to embody. Let me respectfully remind you, life and death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes by and opportunity is lost. Each of us must strive to awaken, awaken. Take heed, do not squander your life.